Welcome to The Great Awakening. I'm your host, Josh Dawes. Today's episode is going to be a little different. Uh, It's a little inside politics. Uh, If you have spent any amount of time online in uh, conversations about politics, especially on the right side um, with uh, you know, in conservative circles, you've probably b- begun to hear a phrase uh, used, especially when anytime someone suggests that there's problems on the right that need to be addressed. Uh, you'll hear people say no enemies to the right. And it's this idea that the real threat is the left and we need to stay focused on defeating the left and their agenda and um, any um, dealing with the skeletons in our own closets uh, is, is just a, um, you know, counterproductive at best. It's a, it's a distraction. We don't need to waste time uh, doing that. And um, so I wanted to have a, a couple of my friends on uh, to discuss this that come at this from a very different, um, you know, slightly different perspective. Um, they're bo- they've both been guests on the show before. Neil Shinvey uh, has um, encountered this. Um, he's in a lot of his critiques of Christian nationalism and um, you know his concerns there. Uh, he sees some problems on the right and thinks that they need to be addressed. That we should be publicly distancing ourselves from some of the more uh, unsavory elements on the right. And uh, Taimon Klein um, is very has written a lot of uh, very helpful pieces on Christian nationalism and just uh, really challenging Christians to think differently about our political theology. And uh, he's got a a slightly different perspective. So we just had a friendly conversation about this idea of no enemies on the right, whether um, there's things that, you know, are there good, you know, points to take from that? Uh, is Neil right? Do we need to publicly address these uh, issues? What are the concerns there? Uh, what are the concerns if we, um, you know, spend too much time doing that? Uh, it's a very helpful conversation. I think it uh, pushes the conversation forward. And uh, um, I think you're really going to find it uh, beneficial. So uh, let's jump right into that conversation with Neil and Taiman. Neil and Taiman, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. So um, you guys have been uh, part of a conversation that has been happening on uh, Christian Twitter, um, just around this idea of uh, no enemies to the right. This, this, a lot of people are saying that these days just of how, you know, we shouldn't attack anyone to our, our right. We need to focus all of our energy on the left. And this really came, um, I think, out of a lot of the, the critiques uh, and the conversation around c- Christian nationalism, which I haven't really delved into too much here on the podcast, uh, but I've, I've written about it some on Twitter. Uh, Neil, I wanted to have you on because you have been someone that's uh, been critical of the name, uh, of using the label Christian nationalism. Um, largely due to its associations with some uh, less than, uh, (laughs) um, I don't know, savory elements on the right. And uh, Taiman, I I wanted to have you on because, you know, you you guys are friendly. Uh, You kind of have maybe a bit different. You've been a little bit more friendly to the Christian nationalism uh, project, if not the label. Um, I'm not sure where you land on that. But 
uh, wanted to just have a friendly conversation. So, um, Neil, why don't you kick us off with what some of your concerns are with uh, using that label? And then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, I've talked about this before. I was on a podcast about a few weeks ago with William Wolf and talked about my concerns with the label. And so this is separate from the ideas. So whatever you want to ideas you want to promote, you know, pick a label, I think, that's going to be descriptive. It's not going to catch you unnecessarily with flack. Um, it will not be used against you. Sort of basic, strategic, prudent uh, choice of words. And the problem, I, the main problem I have with Christian nationalism is that it definitely, in, in the most popular usage and its most vocal proponents, does encompass some very, uh, say, polarizing ideas. So uh, the number one book right now on Christian nationalism is written by Andrew Torba and Isker. And, uh, and Torb is just known for making outlandish anti-Semitic statements and racist statements on on Twitter, and uh, he's just known for that. And and he's his book has you know I think three times the positive reviews on Amazon as Stephen Wolf's book on Christian nationalism, which I think made a big splash in evangelical circles. Uh, so so it just gives you a sense in which ha- this how this term is um, used colloquially. And then beyond that, these are people that are on the right using it positively. And then on the left, of course, I think Christian nationalism has been weaponized to refer to anyone who is opposed to, say, abortion and same-sex marriage. So pretty mm-hmm. standard Christian conservative beliefs. But everybody gets tarred with this label. It's a pejor- It's clearly a pejorative label. And so I'm just kind of wondering, prudentially, why would we positively adopt it? Why would we let, essentially, ironically, I think we're letting the, the, the left they they come were the first if you look at the google trends thing the first usage of that term popularly was by sort of progressiveish christian scholars to denigrate christian beliefs so why would we take it upon ourselves and uh, embrace that term especially when then there are people who embrace it who do seem to have very bad beliefs that we would not support anyway so my concern i would just say uh, without addressing the ideas at all just pick a different label. And I think you suggested the term Christian federalism, which seems completely good and neutral to me. I'd, I'd use that and use that as the sort of the rallying phrase for whatever movement you want to start. Um, and that was my that was my main concern about the phrase Christian nationalism, totally independent of the ideas. Yeah. And you received a lot of pushback to uh, those concerns, um, basically flying under this banner of no enemies to the right, you know, we're right. whatever dangers you see over there, we're not going to attack it. Um, and I think there's, there's some, I think there's merit to the idea. And I, I want to see kind of where we may agree and disagree there. Uh, but Tamon, any, anything you want to add to that, uh, the label conversation there? Yeah, like prior to the no enemies to the right idea. Um, which maybe we can just adopt that as our political label. Maybe that word is more descriptive. Um, <laughs> it's a little longer. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've heard Neil's concerns. Um, I think they're probably shared by a lot of people. I, I'm not really sure. I haven't crowdsourced this. I know Josh, we've talked some before too about it, but you know, you could, you could have a couple of responses to, to Neil's concerns. One could be that uh, pejoratives are often uh, taken up as as positive identifiers for movements. Um, we we see this, you know, all the time, or maybe not all the time, but frequently. 
Um, so the maneuver itself is not necessarily ill-advised. Only time will tell, um, mm. even if the pejorative. So, you know, I, lo I love to talk about the Puritans, and that's a, a great example. Puritans, definitely a pejorative. Um, today, it's like a pejorative again. So if, you're, if your scope of history is like three or 400 years on Christian nationalism, then maybe it'll go around and around a couple of times. But, um, you know, that's a pejorative. But by the end of the 17th century, you have people who are definitely uh, categorized as Puritans, self-professedly saying so. So they find since the uh -huh. Elizabethan period, you know, they finally adopted it. And part of that is because it it did change, you know, meanings um, in between the six, end of the 16th, early 17th century. Um, but it, but anyway, the point is, you know, we could even grab the really low-hanging fruit and say Christian, you know, is the same way. Um, so I think the maneuver is not without merit, not necessarily ill-advised. And so the question to ask is whether you think um, it's actually descriptive, it's actually true, um, even before you start considering what you may think the baggage your opponents are attaching to it uh, mm -hmm. may be. And so I think the most offenders of the label, and I think it's a, I think it's a decent label, and I'll, I'll say why in a second, but I think most of them have said, you know, does this just in semantically, does this describe, you know, what we're into? Is there, is there another two word kind of label, you know, that's catchy and catches on. And I guess that's what I'd say also is you can't, you don't really get to when you're when you're doing political movements or, or coalitions or whatever, you don't really get to decide like at the outset what label you want and make everyone rally around it. Something just kind of catches on. And so you uh -huh. can ask, is this descriptive? Is it getting at something uh, that we're wanting to emphasize or push? And then is it connecting with people? And so, Josh, I'm sorry to say, I just have not seen Christian federalism quite catch on <laughs> in the same I way. Tried. <laughs> um, I and, tried. I tried too. And we've, we've, I've registered my even my uh, descriptive reservations with with that term. I think it's, um, it doesn't it doesn't communicate much to me because you know I would I would say I mean this is me I I hope most people are thinking the same way. If you if, when you're talking about Christian nationalism in the American context, it is assuming the structural um, inheritance of your regime that that's always been there that you're you're wanting to defend as the nation, which is a federalist structure. And so, mm -hmm. if you say Christian federalism, all you're doing is referring to um, that aspect of our regime, and it doesn't at least immediately. I mean, you can explain anything you want, it doesn't immediately signal anything else. Um, and then, of course, people don't really like know what federalism is or anything about you know they don't even know how many senators we have. So. Uh, you know, way too, way too technical already for it to like kind of for people to latch on to it. So I would just say, you know, is it is it effective? And part of we can when we get into no enemies to the right discussion, part of your effectiveness in the current environment is uh, a bit of provocation and the extent to which your enemies dislike it. And, you know, mm -hmm. they dislike it if they keep using it. And so it does become a sort of galvanizing force for people to say, yeah, you know what? Fine. And now there's obviously going to be limits to which you should do that. Again, if it's not actually descriptive or communicating something true that you want, even if there's also baggage, then you know the label's pretty erroneous or superfluous. So those would be the criteria I would I would set up and say that the label passes, you know, that criteria in my view. Yeah, and I think you know, different. It's it's it would be one thing if you know we're being called racist to just adopt that. Yeah, sure, let's go for it. Uh, right. We're Christian racist. Mm -hmm. No, because that's right. got you know, you have so many connotations. And I think there's, I think there's probably well, a bit of a literal. generational. It's, just literally, it's not even right. a connotation like race. Well, right. That was going to be untrue. The definition of racism is no longer established, but yeah. We right. can, 
It's a negative. Yeah. It's a morally negative term. It's like Christian fascism Correct. or Christian hatred. It's like, well, I'm not right. going to be. Yes, I'm a Christian hater, hater or bigot. The, yeah. Silly. Yeah. Would, and yeah. I'd we even would go not, further. No one would be embracing that. Yeah. And I'd even I'd even say you know there's certain things that um, you know the the post like you know what I call World War II mind or like Cold War mind. This is how we so we deal with like the issue in Ukraine right now because we have Cold War mind. It's our only paradigm that we use for that. And same thing with many other other certainly geopolitical but now political uh, things domestically. We have World War II mind. Like it's the only period of history anyone knows. So you funnel it through that. And I just think you can't allow that that consciousness to kind of capture every label so it's like you know do they, they get to have fascism and nationalism and you know what else what else do they get to have um so at some point you have to draw a line in the sand or like you know uh, plant your flag somewhere i would agree that like fascism would be a much more difficult sell because it's much more closely aligned to nazism but of course fascism is not actually synonymous with nazism fascism is also another descriptive term in this situation, fascism is not described the type of regime I would want, even if you could sanitize it of the Nazism um, or, or Mussoliniism or whatever you want to say. So it doesn't work. I don't I don't want to use that because that's I don't want a military state that, you know, has an element of socialism to it. I mean, that's basically what fascism is and probably can't be replicated ever again anywhere at scale is very unique phenomenon. But you would have the same issues, but I would say a heightened issue of association but then also it's just not descriptive of what anyone mm -hmm. saying, um, you know, is wanting. So, so that's where I would say the analogy between the two would be a dissimilar. Yeah. I, I think that, um, I think it's very much the response that people respond differently based on kind of which generation they're part of. Um, I think a lot mm -hmm. of younger generations don't really have uh, negative connotations with nationalism. They think, yeah, I love my country. That what's wrong with that? Whereas a lot of boomer generation, they still think, mm -hmm. you know, the the Nazis. Um, and so, you know, wh where I land on the label is, I just don't care. I want Christians to want to rediscover a um, willingness to exert political power again. Um, you know, for the sake of these of children that are being targeted by gender ideology and, you know, just to have the the moral fortitude to say, no, we're not teaching this in schools. No, abortion is not going to be legal in this state. Um, we're going to ban trans surgeries. Like, let's let's find the, <laughs> the will to do that. And if people will rally around Christian nationalism, then great. Let's call it that. If if that's a hindrance to getting people involved then you know it's not important let's let go of it and i think you know looking at, at guys like christopher rufo he hasn't labeled what he's doing mm -hmm. and he's been tremendously successful and i don't want christians to kind of you know be over in this you know the sandbox playing with you know ideas and labels and and stuff <laughs> when there's very real momentum in the country right now to make some changes and to exert political power again on behalf of the, the things we find valuable um so that's just where, where i'm kind of landing um i think you guys both make good points but on to this idea of you know um enemies to the right um neil what what is your concern where do you see uh the need right now 
So yeah, the the question of the label is sort of a secondary one uh, because I've said you know if you want to use the label Christian nationalism, okay, I think it's unwise, but I'm not hung up on labels. The, the important part is the ideas. So I said if you're going to use the label, then just be sure to define it clearly. That's all. Just say here's what we stand for, and define it in a way that makes it clear that you don't support these incredibly you know wrong, even evil ideas coming from maybe the far right. Because there are, I mean, so, I mean, so, and then in response to that, though, I said, so I said, don't use the label. That's my opinion. But then if you do use it, just make sure you differentiate it from these extreme sinful ideas that you don't support, maybe. Uh, and so, but then when I got the pushback then was, no, I refuse to define the label and, and, and I refuse to draw a line that would alienate the far right even. Maybe you'll disagree with them privately, but publicly, I'm not going to do anything that would alienate them because no enemies to the right. That's the justification for not saying anything that would that would, you know, openly, publicly divorce myself from people that I personally don't agree with, that I agree are are bad actors. I agree they're unsavory, but because of no enemies to the right, I'm not going to say things that would cut off their support. And so I, I think that is more troubling to me. Uh, I'll give some, now, by the way, I don't entirely dismiss this no enemies of the right thinking. So quickly, some positives. Um, if you are on the right as a Christian, and I am on the right, I'm a conservative. And, and I think uh, if you are, then you shouldn't spend the bulk of your time addressing the right's errors. I mean, if you're on the right, then by definition, you think the left's errors are worse than are more dangerous than the right's errors. So you shouldn't spend all your time addressing the errors on the right. That doesn't make any sense. If you really believe the primary problems are on the left, you can spend some time critiquing your own camp, but you can't spend all your time doing it or even most of your time doing it. That's number one. It's a good idea. Another idea is that you shouldn't let the left dictate your priorities. You know, the, the left's super worked up about things like racism, sexism, classism, ableism, all these different isms. And it, so you, even, if you, even if you say, I agree, those things are bad, I reject them. They shouldn't have to be your priorities. You might think other things like abortion are more politically more important. And so you, you don't have to kowtow to the left's priorities. You don't have to let the left dictate your discourse. In other words, the left thinks in terms of, of the harm, you know, harm framework, compassion framework, just social justice, inclusive, inclusivity. These are all the frameworks by which the left evaluates everything. Well, you don't have to just assume that. You can have your own framework for evaluating what's important. And then also you can recognize co-belligerency. So if you're on the right, you might find yourself allying politically with Muslims or Mormons or uh, you know even secular atheists who are on some issue like abortion. You might all want to make abortion illegal. So as an evangelical Christian, you can say these are my uh, my allies politically. So I think all of those thoughts are true, and they are elements of that no enemies to the right thinking. But my biggest, if you had, to, I have many concerns with. No enemies to the right, but my biggest one is this. Think of the actual phrase, no enemies to the right. Now, I understand that that is supposed to mean no political enemies. I understand that, but I worry that thinking that way um, can make us confuse political and theological. We sort of see our tribe is the right, and then my enemies are on the left. Well, if you're not careful, that can become sort of thinking in, in tribal terms, you get confusing theology and politics. And the Bible always thinks primarily, almost exclusively in theological terms. Your enemies are those who are God's enemies, and your your friends, your brothers and sisters are those who are believers. 
That's through consistently through the Bible. It thinks in theological terms. So I worry that if you start thinking of fellow believers who are not even on the left, on the moderates even, as your enemies politically, then that can easily feel bleed into the way you view them sort of more broadly speaking. These are my enemies because they don't align with me politically. Now, again, I say that as conservative who, who thinks that you kind of have to be clearly on the right with respect to many issues like abortion and big ones like LGBTQ stuff. But I, again, I, I really want to make sure that Christians are always primarily thinking in biblical terms, which are theological, which would rule out the possibility of really thinking about our fellow believers as my enemies. Uh, mm -hmm. Politically, maybe, but that's, again, I don't want to center that frame, that political frame. I want to center our theological frame in our thinking. Okay. Timon, you, uh, you want to respond to that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I thought Neil did, did a fine job, you know, briefly sketching kind of the idea. I'll, I'll just double up on it a bit. I mean, I see, you know, this, this is a term at least recently popularized, if not coined by Charles Haywood, right? This is, this discussion came up. I don't know if he actually coined it. It's like, you know, Curtis Yarvin with the cathedral and everyone's like, no, that's actually Plato. I'm like, whatever. He mm. coined it. Okay. It's a thing. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, this is, this is Haywood in response to, to Rod Dreher, right? And, and there was, um, so to bring you guys up to speed, there was this weird scenario where like, there was this really racist book that came out and there was some hullabaloo around it. I don't even remember this. This was like back in November. And it was like circulating and every what was no case for Christian nationalism. That's right. OK, so there was a super racist book that came out um, and there was hella blue around it. And, you know, Rod Dreher decided to write about it. And, um, you know, basically that was that literally was Haywood's only response to uh, the, the tweet uh, was was Rod's article. And he just said, you know, who cares? No enemies to the right. Right. And it's obviously this quip. And he's since, I mean, I would encourage people to read the the exchange he did on I Am 1776 about it and then some other podcasts. I think he was on Alex Kashuda's podcast and a few others. Um, so he doesn't want, you know, the memification of this idea can certainly be misused, uh, just like the the friend-enemy distinction, right? There's like a mm -hmm. meme of these ideas that is, is not the actual idea. Um, and of course, you know, what Neil's saying of that getting passed around and kind of, yeah, of course that's going to happen. That's going to be anything you do that that even happens as much as I find no use for him that even happens with Tim Keller right he just gets the the meme form of, of Kellerism is not actually the thing um so that that's a concern what I see is like the basic you know idea is you know you don't want to do the left's dirty work for them right so we live in this particular political paradigm that we're wanting to break free of because we think it's designed to make us fail and I think that's that's true and so if you don't want to do the, the left's dirty work for them, you basically don't um, become like a, a prison functionary, right? Like you don't go around policing the other prisoners and it, because you're like worse than the rest of them, if that's what you do. And so, and that's certainly how Haywood views, you know, Dreher. Dreher, and I would, I would use a better example and say David French. I mean, David French spends all of his time um, criticizing his own tribe or whatever you want to say, certainly evangelicals. So all the way up to even what Neil was talking about, if you're ecclesial affiliation, that's and that's how he's made a career for himself, and that's why he's good controlled opposition, and now works for the New York Times, which is just perfect. Uh, Russell Moore's done the same thing. That's why he's the editor of Christianity Today. It's it's like this perfect. Going back five years ago, this is exactly what I would have imagined, and it's it's come to fruition. Everyone's exactly where they should be. Um, so those are people that kind of play the game, and so Haywood's saying, you know, don't 
don't do that because one, the left is already going to do that for you. And so don't make their job easier for them and don't waste your energy doing it. And then second of all, it's, it's counterproductive to, um, you know, and again, this is, this is a functional or strategic political principle. This is not a substantive mm -hmm. point. This is not dealing with the ideas that you actually mm -hmm. want to disseminate, that you want to develop, that you do want to spend hard intellectual work on, but it's the realization that to get things done politically, you have to sometimes hold your nose. Unsavory characters are going to hang around and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're with you. And so the question is, you know, to what extent do you want to waste energy um, going around policing them? You know, this kind of purity spiral, Josh, you were, you were talking about the other day. And by the way, this goes both ways. If you follow a lot mm. of the new right discussion, the purity spiral on like who's the most new right and who's the most post-liberal and everything is is becoming completely counterproductive. That does not mean that I think the radical critique of liberalism should be stopped intellectually, but there's coalition fracture even on that like nerdy side of the new right that's, that's completely counterproductive. It's it, but it's um, again I think there's a lot of career you know kind of interests swirling around. So this is one way to to critique that as well. I would say um, not just um, with an eye towards the left, but an eye towards you know your own your own coalition, even the the sort of radical element that that is. Um, you know, injecting the movement with some energy. Um, the other thing, I mean, the other thing you have to, again, to highlight the point, this is a strategic principle and not a substantive one, is, you know, what's, what's Haywood will say, like, what's the goal? What are we doing? And the goal of the right is to defeat the left, right? Now, I question the, I mean, he he's being, I think, intentionally hyperbolic, but we'll say, you know, it's the complete eradication, like take their, their, their treasure and, you know, do this. Um, the, the, this hypothetical situation in which there's like no left anymore, um, you know, whatever, I don't, I don't know, but I think it's the principle stands for intermediate or proximate goals as well. Um, and so you could say, well, the, the goal right now is the total defeat of the left in X, Y, Z regard. Right. And we might say gender ideology, we might say, um, you know, the, the racification of all discourse or whatever you want to say. Um, now, again, that doesn't mean just to own the libs. You're like, well, I'm just going to be a real Nazi now because I can <laughs> own the libs. Um, that's that's stupid, right? That's not that's not a thing. Um, I'm sure it is a thing for some people. Probably most of them hang out in Neil's DMs, but they, you know, I, I imagine <laughs> there's there's a few of these these nuts running around. But um, that's not what we're talking about. So you don't actually do that. You don't actually become a bad person just to show that you know you don't care. But the point is, I think the policing function of not carrying the water for, um, you know, the liberals and and the other thing is it's recognizing or pushing back against is, you know, liberalism is kind of a it's a way to mitigate conflict and um, but at the same time it's predicated on a, a politics of difference and heterogeneity and these things right these are celebrated but then the the liberal proceduralism is is supposed to be the way you do politics so there's no conflict and supposedly all agree that doesn't it undermines itself through its very voluntaristic nature but there's there's some sense in which that there's a truth there that like well yeah you can act a certain way politics can be something more like a civil discourse if you have massive homogeneity if you if you agree on on basically everything and so it's the recognition of even if that's desirable, undesirable, that's a different debate. That's simply not the case. So politics mm -hmm. is certainly a battle and is warfare. And the only way to approach that scenario is through saying we want to beat those people that are our opponents. Um, and you can describe everyone on the right that is basically the people against them in the broad strokes, which is if, if you define the left as people dedicated in every sphere of life to 
uh, egalitarian and, and egalitarianism and liberationism, right? So like that's that's what their their political kind of ethos is. And so it's people who oppose that is are the people you're wanting to you know align with or at least say you know there there could certainly be exceptions to the rule when you have to do things publicly, but you could at least say hey, when we're going to police ourselves, we're not going to make a big show of it. We're going to do it privately. Mm -hmm. We're not going to give the left the satisfaction um, of, of any of this. And so if there's people we need to deal with, we, we do it in a certain way. But you're dealing with political friends in a different way than you deal with political enemies. And the left understands this. The left does this constantly. Yeah. And, that, and that's you touched on something a little earlier ago that it drives me crazy with the crowd most likely to say most no enemies to the right is that they are just as quick to get into the purity cycles to people who aren't are just a smidge uh to their left you know who are conservative yeah. on you know or even super based on every you know little thing they're not just for conservative; one. they're based yeah, they're based. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like they, but they're not they're not quite based enough in this one area. So <laughs> with, with, we then have to attack that person. And, and I just want to, you know, change the, <laughs> the phrase to no enemies on the right. Like, okay, if we're going to, if we're not going to attack to our right, let's also just not attack on the right. And like, that's it, and because yeah. that, because that's the, the thing that does resonate me, with me with this, this idea is that, you know, I think, there's this growing sense um, on the on the right uh, in conservative circles, even Christian circles, that um, this the the neutral secular order um, that we thought it, it doesn't really matter who's in power. You know, we've got systems in place to check and balance. You know, I think that illusion is being shattered, and it's becoming very clear that no, there are very real consequences to who holds power, and it's important. And it matters who, you know, who is holding those levers of justice. And, and, and that's, that's something that we need to take seriously. And, you know, to, you know, what Timon was saying, you know, the left is very disciplined that they know who their political enemies are. And I think the right needs to um, not just you know, well, the left does it so we can do it too. I don't think it's, I don't think there's anything scripturally where we can't, you know, mm -hmm. marshal our forces against a common enemy. That's not a, a thing. And I hear your, your, your concerns there that we sweep up some, some Christian um, brothers and sisters into that label. And I, I do, uh, I do think we need to figure out how to navigate that. But even, you know, if we're talking like, you know, actual, wars in the past the north and the south there was a way that that christians wrapped their heads around you know fighting you know brothers and sisters but on different sides of a of a battle so i think there's a way to navigate that and still be faithful um yeah, yeah um, I, I, I would say like you know we're not talking about selling your soul to the extent that or at all but to the extent that the left will mm -hmm. right because and and part of it too i mean if you don't have the conviction that um, what you're pursuing on the right is, is, you know, generally in the pursuit of truth and what's, and what's, uh, actually right. Um, what is correct then, you know, I, I don't know what you're, what you're doing. So in that sense, it, it of course, the people, the people on the left, there are many, you know, true believers that do, do really think that way. 
there's other people that are just much more aware of power. I mean, I don't, you can, you can find these in the, in the way power works. So we don't even, thinking like only in terms of elections too and stuff like that is, is really short-sighted um, of, you know, all this can only be inaugurated through elections. I mean, the, something on the, on the new right that's being explored more and more is the, the understanding of how power is disseminated, especially in our current regime and what the actual apparatus of that looks like. Um, but you see this, you know, example all the time, like, um, what's his name? Eric Swalwell, you know, he's, he's like sleeping with this actual Chinese spy, right? That all comes out. The left has no problem with it, but when there might be some possible specious reason to think that, you know, Trump took a phone call from, oh, we're, oh, the Ukraine, that's right. Yeah. The, now there's a problem, right? So like it's the this isn't just a double standard of like oh let's call out the hypocrisy that just bounces off them, um, and now you you find out oh actually the the Bidens actually were colluding with you know Ukraine oh and now we all of a sudden need to go go help out a ton over there so not the substantive points of all those issues is not the point I'm making it's that look how they operate right this is they're very aware of this dynamic they pretty much only throw people under the bus when they absolutely have to, if ever. Um, and so I'm not saying you have to just completely sell out, but we have to at least adopt some inkling of this because it's just a political reality. And again, I think this is talking about political strategy. This is not the substance of your ideas of just whatever's the most you know rightward idea I can possibly. I mean, you you begin to defy paradigms, right? If the, but mm-hmm. That's not you know what we're after, and some people will make it cartoonish and caricature it and do that. But the the point is just purely a political posture and say, look, you know, there could be objectionable things in people that are in our circles or that think they're co-belligerents with us or want to support us, and I'm just not going to waste my time, you know, according to the predominant pieties of the day, which are set by our opponents, running around policing them and including the priorities of those pieties, like which ones are best. You know, the the thought crime is much worse than the active crime now, right? It's what, so all of a sudden we really care about what people say they believe, not whether they're, you know, have stayed in their marriage and have, you know, raised kids and done good things like that or other, you know, sort of courageous acts. That's no longer the, now it's, you know, the extent to which we can determine if you have a, a off-base belief um, or thought uh-huh. or whatever. Um, and so especially on those grounds, like I'm just not, I, I think the point is to just be, much, much, much less less interested in running around policing that for people, even in, in to the extent which it's expressed. I mean, because you're just shooting yourself in the foot more often than not. So, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I agree. If we can, if Christians can really keep this principle as a purely political strategy, that's it. We're not endorsing any of these beliefs where it's never going to infect our theology. We're never locking arms theologically with these people on the right. Uh, that we disagree with, if they can really keep that pure, okay, I'm more I'm more open to it. Um, my worry is that, and they said this before, it seems like the woke church did exactly this, right? The woke church had this no names of the left approach, because politically they were aligned. We all we all want these things, social justice issues, and and when some of us begin to point out, well, some of the people on your side are are really dangerous. They have really bad ideas and anti-Christian ideas and they're on your side. They didn't want to hear it. They circled the wagons and said, no, there are, they, 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 that's not true. We, we deny it. And what happened was their theology 
eroded because they they again they they thought maybe they thought in their heads we're just doing this pragmatically politically because we're aligned on social justice issues but over time the lines between politics and theology got blurred and they began to embrace these really bad theological ideas we saw what happened so i'm just worried that we can say all we want we're keeping the political and theological alliances separate but oftentimes, as we saw in the woke church, those those lines get blurred and your theology ends up getting eroded. And so that's my first concern. My second concern, though, is uh, also there is a since this is all prudential, right? all this stuff about, well, we don't want to waste time policing our own just because, I mean, the way this happens on Twitter is someone will say so and so who follows you said such and such. Are you going to are you going to condemn that or not? <laughs> it's like, no, I, I'm not I just ignore it because I'm not going to go around saying every every 40,000 followers and what do they all say and I'm going to condemn every time anyone says that I have to condemn this person. I agree with that. That's ridiculous. You shouldn't hold people to that standard. And if you do, if you let the left make you just dance like a puppet whenever they say you have to condemn this person, yeah, of course you're wasting your time and you're never you're not going to satisfy them. You're basically just going to show that you are subservient to them, <laughs> that you do what they tell you to do, which is a bad idea. Um that said, there is prudentially some uh, a balance we have to strike because if you're trying to build a an a political movement, there are a large number of moderate quote unquote normies out there, and call them whatever you want normies, boomers, you know, who still have um, a, this reaction to certain invectives, true or false, and will look to you to see how you respond. So, for example, if someone hops into my Twitter feed and says, "I saw one of your." followers who's an anonymous account with an american you know bald eagle uh you know gif as their as their as their avi and and they said this and you have to condemn them i'm gonna just ignore that right however if someone says like you know my pat sawyer and i are collaborators right we've writing a book together if pat sawyer says something uh they claim he says something really outrageous and suddenly there's a big public outcry i shouldn't say I shouldn't just be quiet. Why? Because not because I might know, but Pat didn't say that. That's not true at all. It's total slander. But I'm not going to even bother police policing this stuff because it's going to play into. No, no, no. Think about this. There are going to be a million normies, moderates out there, centrists who hear that claim and say, oh, man, what does Neil think about that? And really wonder. So if I really want to build a coalition, I have to convince them, no, that is slander. It's worth me speaking up and saying, no, I actually that's not what Pat said. Or if they say, oh, if uh, some other person that I've, so time on Klein, you know, we're co-authoring a paper together. If you came out and said something just outrageous that I actually disagreed with, and people said, this is your co-author, if I really want to win the moderates, I might have to say, yeah, time and I disagree on that point. I, we do, because I'm trying to show them that, yes, I do have some standards and I want to win your support for my movement. And so I have to judge whether, you know, uh, policing my own is bad, but uh, alienating the moderates who really do wonder, well, are you racist after all? Or are you sexist? Or are you a Nazi? If they're really wondering, it might be worth me saying, no, I'm not. <laughs> At the cost of you know losing the very few Nazis who are following me. Anyway, my only point is, if you're judging this prudentially, you do have to be aware of that dynamic. We have to, if we're going to build a coalition, we have to win the average moderate undecided voter. Which means sometimes, yeah, saying I actually am not racist. Not every single day I have to say that, but once in a while I'll say, no, no, I, I draw the line here clearly. 
I mean, in some sense, all I hear you saying is not only don't police your own, but always defend your own. <laughs> but be, like be active if, you know, if there's, I, I obviously totally agree with that. If there's, um, you know, again, if, you know, we want to avoid, or and I know it's not what you're saying, the sort of posture of where you're always in a defensive crouch of no, 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 right. no. And you want to, and you do what, you know, Joshua Mitchell calls the innocence uh, signaling, which we, ju- we just saw, you know, all over the place with this Josh Butler fiasco. Um, uh-huh. And, the, and that is actually a great demonstration of it. If you're if you're a centrist branded centrist type organization, um, you're actually not. Just wait to see which outrage coming from the right corners makes them move, and that tells you where they're at. And we saw that with the, the Josh Butler thing, which would have been much better for them to do for the longevity of their center. We could call we could use it as an illustration of the coalition, the Keller Center, of like a coalition. Um, for the confidence of the pre-existing members and just to show they have some backbone and, and probably pull, uh, potentially gain some some credit from their critics is is to say, you know, in-house, be like, hey, Josh, this was super cringe, dude. Like, why did you write it this way? Um, but then say, but we're not even close to throwing you under the bus because nothing terrible here or something that we just would. So no, we're not doing it. We're just going to you know, tell everyone else to go pound sand. That would be like mm-hmm. how you should should have handled that. And then in-house be like, um, you're going to have like five editors from now on every single time you write something, right? Because this was embarrassing. So that's, you know, kind of what I'm I'm talking about. I think it's just a general, um, it's, it's being less, it's being somewhat desensitized from the predominant pieties of the day that tell you as soon as one, a complaint is lodged against you, immediately got to defend yourself because it's probably doesn't matter if it has grounds or not, you know, you know, it's going to be a disaster. And it's like the option isn't even in our heads to say, I don't care. Like, I don't care what you guys think. I don't care, you know, what, what anyone's saying, uh, you know, check your own conscience and then go ahead. You know, so if you're, again, I'm not saying anyone should just be like, well, I'm going to become the genuine article, but you know, the, the race, the race thing, you know, is probably central here. And I think it's, it's central to when Haywood was even bringing it up is like, that is the, the main bullet in the chamber right for the left right now. I mean, they can they can uh, adopt something else later. Um, but if you want to de- defeat them in this regard, you have to find a way um, to, you know, you don't want to wrestle the gun away from them and turn it on them and use it the same way they're doing. Now you're just doing the same thing. But you want to become bulletproof to where when they fire the one shot, it just bounces off. And then eventually they're like, well, we can't, we only have one bullet. We can't take down a mob so that we just need to get out of here, right? Because they're all bulletproof anyway. And so doing that requires, you know, some being somewhat desensitized from these claims, which I think is hard for for Christians and Americans generally to do, because most Americans actually aren't racist and they're, you know, mm-hmm. certainly Christians aren't either. It's actually not a thing anymore. Uh, you know, not saying there's not whatever. Um, see, even that that's like just state the claim. Americans and Christians are not racist. It's just not not the case generally. Right. Um, instead of saying, well, let me give all these caveats of, yeah, I'm sure there's some credibility to what you're saying. In general, the way it's used um, and thrown at people, it's it's completely fake. It's garbage. And so what you say is, okay, I'm just going to become bulletproof to that. I'm not going to become a racist to just show them that they're stupid, but I'm going, because then you know, it's self-fulfilling prophecy, but you um, just say, I'm, I'm not going to be bothered by that anymore. They're going to call me racist for everything and like whatever. And I'm also not going to go around um, within the coalition on particular issues or whatever, whatever it looks like, and and try to find those people so I can prove to everybody we're being really serious and policing our movement here. Because that, again, just does the work for them. And you see this time and again with people, you know, self-policing on 
the right of actually handing up, um, you know, sort of sacrifices to to the left that never would have been discovered before. It doesn't mean those people were good or doing a good thing, but you just created the scenario for them. And those, especially leftist journalists, are super lazy, so they're just going to run with it. Um, and you've you've done all the work for them. And so, you know, it's it's getting away from doing that. That doesn't mean there's not a scenario where you might have to publicly say, okay, like this, you know, we've got to cut ties with this guy or whatever. I mean, Trump even did that with David Duke, you know, like he's like not afraid of, you know, there's, there's this, it's a certain time when you should definitely do that, especially with morons. But in general, it's like, we're just, we're not going to do this. We're not going to waste our time. We're also not too, uh, we're not going to be overly sensitive anymore to this. And, um, you know, just kind of carry on and try to do your thing. Otherwise, I think you, it, the extent to which you can be effective is going to be minimal because as you guys both know, with your familiar, familiarity with critical social theories, I mean, you can always make your connection back around to that charge, whatever you're doing, opposing transgenderism or whatever, it's racist, right? Or something. Um, yeah. So you can constantly do this. So it's saying, all right, that's, that's not going to work. In fact, most of the time, I'm not even going to give it the time of day. Um, and I don't really care who's saying it anymore. Um, now, the last thing I'll say to the extent Neil's talking about, you know, building the coalition and trying to go after moderates, I would just have a different, this is just a different tactical approach of where I think the the going after moderates is is can also be a huge waste of time. And that normies, as I would describe normies, are people that are actually probably fundamentally and instinctually on the right that um, have been sort of beaten down into a defensive crouch and don't really know what's okay to do or or express or whatever. But most people, most normies, if I refer to those people, are like people that are pretty conservative but just need to wake up. And so I'm like, the, appealing to those people is slightly uh, a slightly different strategy than the the centrist moderate, who I think is uh, very difficult to win, certainly in any kind of permanent sense, to, to a coalition, because by definition, they're indecisive. So let me give you a little bit of pushback there, Taimon. So um, I was at a conference in Canada over the weekend talking. My re requested topic was wokeness and why it's dangerous and bad. And so the room is, you know, a thousand people that are all pretty much anti-woke already. They want to hear more about it and understand, but they're, they're conservative, they're evangelicals. Um, and so in uh, the Q&A session, I talked about, so I, the whole talk was about understanding these ideas. That's all, not even critiquing them. And then, but during the Q and A, um, so it came up. Well, uh, that you know, is racism really a problem? And I said, you know, the majority of evangelical Christians are not racist. However, there's a there is a non-negligible minority of of Christians who clearly harbor some kind of racist beliefs. And the examples I gave, you can cite many, many surveys here. Very high, large sample sizes, national representative samples. But between about around twenty percent of white evangelicals are still opposed to interracial marriage. Uh, uh, YouGov poll found that 37% of Republicans uh, think interracial marriage is is immoral. It's Im not just like vaguely unwise, imprudent, but immoral. So I'm not saying it's majority. It's not, uh, but but it's a, a significant number. And I've been places where uh, pastors have told me in our town it's 50%. So so it's not zero. It's not it's not it's not 100%. But it's not also it's 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 you know it's a sizable chunk. So the point is this, when I gave those statistics, there was like an audible gasp from the crowd. They were horrified that this is still a thing. The point is this, though, two things. One is that we shouldn't downplay the existence of things like racism, right? And it is there, 
And as Christians, we have to say it's wrong. And the other thing is that uh, the, prudentially, uh, I think that if, if my audience is representative of normies, I don't know, but they're conservative evangelicals who are already anti-woke, but they're horrified to know this is a thing still. Mm-hmm. This is how the left ironically wins normies. The social justice left is coming at them saying, do you know how much racism there is out there? Look at these stats. And if you really want to be against it, we are your guys. We are your guys. The right doesn't care about it. The right ignores but, it. The hey, right for it doesn't exist. Yeah. But let me push back there. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The left, the left isn't doing that. Mm-hmm. People on the right are doing that. That no, no, this is a problem. The the response normies have to the left is okay, here we go again. We're racist. Okay, got it. Yada yada yada. Wait, do you think the 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 right is doing it is calling things racist more than the left i think that that elements uh, the the policing you know the the gospel coalition crowd they're the ones that are you know highlighting no 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 it still exists it's still a problem it's still look at mm-hmm. these stats um when um it's like c.s lewis's um you're bringing a fire extinguisher to a flood sure uh, analogy so, yes, I, I agree that I think those stats are true. I think it, they, it is absolutely accurate that some percentage still harbor racist beliefs. But when you look at the sheer urgency of the, the other issues that we are facing that are determining law, that are determining um, you know, what's being taught in schools, nobody's going into schools and teaching you know, that, racism. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Interracial marriage is is bad. Wrong. You know, yeah. unless they're doing it from the, the woke perspective. Um, <laughs> right. And, and so, so that's where, yeah. you know, that's where I think. Is, you know, go ahead. Well, so let me clarify. I'm doing that uh, in the context of a you know, 30 minute talk that was all about how dangerous these, these leftist ideas are. Mm-hmm. So the point mm-hmm. is, I'm not majoring on that. So I think your criticism is that some of these moderates are majoring in racism and then mm-hmm. briefly in two minutes are like also abortion, transgender are bad. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm doing the opposite. I'm majoring in why, cause I'm on the right. I'm saying, no, the really huge ideological battle is against wokeness. I agree mm-hmm. with that, but simply, and this is why, this is what I want to close with two maybe is that by throwing in literally a two minutes of, yes, it is a real thing. I'm aware of it. You don't, you can't paint me as someone who's totally ignorant and in a fantasy land. I realize, but I still want to maintain that focus, put the first things first. That again, I would argue is more effective because it shows you can't paint me as this inveterate or even ignorant person. I still, having considered all the facts, recognize that the primary battles against wokeness. I would argue Mm -hmm. that. So yeah, I agree. I'm not saying, oh no, it's got to mean 90% railing against racism and 10% against of these minor little things. No, I'm saying in a concept of 90%, I'm, I'm opposed to wokeness, 10% acknowledging the reality, which is a reality. And it's still mm-hmm. a sin. And also the other thing, the fire extinguisher C.S. Lewis analogy, he, it's a, for those who don't know, he's saying uh, the, the devil wants you to be running around with fire extinguishers in the middle of a flood. And he went there focusing on the tiny problem when the bigger problem is destroying you. What I would argue with that analogy, too, is that it's contextual. In some churches, maybe most churches in our cult culture, the major problems are things like 
Well, you say the culture, obviously the culture's problems are things like abortion and LGBTQ stuff. And the minor problem is racism, right? But in some contexts, if you're living in deep red rural Arkansas, probably prob I'm just I'm picking on Arkansas. I'm just saying there are some contexts where in your local church, it's reversed. There is a fire and it's worth getting out a fire extinguisher. So that's why I'm, you know, certainly I'm not telling people across the board, everybody has to evaluate problems like, like we do. Um, mm -hmm. But I just think it's worth just throwing out, not spending 90% of your time on it, but spending 5% of your time on just saying, yeah, there's, there are real problems like this. We agree. They're not zero. But, but that, I, I would argue, prudentially is actually undermining the woke response, which is you don't get it. You're ignorant. You're hiding these things. I'm like, no, I'm not. They're there, but they're just not the major concern. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. Taimon, would you say yeah. that the proper way to handle that then is is the, you know, behind closed doors, like that local church needs to deal with that and it doesn't need to be a public, you know, um, you know, a public declaration of, you know, there's racism here on our side, let, you know, it needs to be dealt with. Well, yeah, I mean, we're we're jumping then into like the context we said we weren't going to, but I but I do you know, which is the church, uh, local church, because this is, this is, we're talking political uh, strategy. Mm -hmm. I, I would say generally, I mean, I thought it was, you know, whatever, somewhat cringe of like, if you have a, if you have the real deal, like in your church, right? Like, um, yeah, you should deal that, deal with that with your, your mechanisms of discipline, if it's an unrepentant. And, uh, you know, the only way to know about it really is if they're running around yelling about it. So at that point, you're kind of like in a, uh, same situation you deal with bad doctrine. I mean, people could harbor these views forever and you'd never know. But if they're going to do that and they won't shut up and they are unrepentant, then yeah, deal with it or whatever. You know, you saw these churches back like 2015, 2016, then making these public statements of like, you know, a hundred years ago, our church was founded by these disgusting, you know, whatever. I just thought that was was cringe because you're dealing with something that's not uh, even uh, plaguing your church at the time, but then they all had these like repentance sessions and stuff. So I, I don't understand what the sin issue is there, but they did that to, to virtue signal and that's fine. But politically, you know, if we're talking about Neil, you know, Neil's posture, which it's not that there's nothing to this, is pri primarily one of persuasion and, and trying to persuade. And this is what, what he does all the time. So this makes sense. You know, this is how Neil sp spends his time is trying to persuade people about the problem, you know, with, with certain ideological elements. And I think there's the educational aspect of that. There's a lot of use um, to that. We can't, you know, abandon this educational uh, aspect either. But in terms of your, your coalition building or what you're going to do, I don't, I, I'm pessimistic on, pessimistic on the extent to which a persuasive posture is actually effective in the, in the current environment. And so that's what, why I'm saying you just can't play the game I'm not really talking about, you know, when you're doing a conference or whatever, talking to people that may or may not be um, already aligned with you to some degree. And so you're trying to show them, hey, I have a comprehensive view of, of maybe adjacent problems or the, the material I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not saying you can't do that or shouldn't do that. The only point I'm making is that when it comes to your political organizations and movements and trying to actually, I mean, what we're trying to do is gain power, right? That's the bottom line. You have to you have to wield power in order to to defeat your enemies, and you can't do that if you're constantly you know sort of cutting off, uh, going around spending your energy cutting off other members or whatever, you, however you want to put it. Um, it's not that you don't ever have to do that to shave off some fat, but it's just not where your focus should be. That's the the principle of the no enemies to the right, and so that's what what I think 
um, at least to a certain extent, can certainly be defended as a, as a practical principle. Um, I'd also say with, you know, anti-wokeness, I think, is not, is not sufficient glue for like a, for the, an actual political coalition. And the reason I say that is you saw um, back during the intellectual dark web days, right, which I know wasn't that long ago, but the, the, all of those people, for the most part, have, have pr are pretty much not aligned with anything going on on the right. Right. And they never really were for there was a time when people were kind of enthusiastic about that. But what you find out is those people are actually um, at their core aligned with the, the leftward um, posture, position, beliefs. It's just that they have some proclivity in them that has said, well, this has gone too far. And you saw that with like the Weinsteins and stuff. It's like, well, that's a, that's crazy what happened at their school. But you're kind of like when when you listen to the interviews, you're like, well, you guys were teaching this stuff, basically. And then your progeny get more and more radicalized and they end up like trying to hang you, right? It's like the French Revolution all over again. And you're like, I'm sorry, I'm just struggling to have all that much sympathy with you then because you just decided, no, th this and no further. But their their commitments are not ours. They're not shared. Now, that, again, that doesn't mean if they want to line up and get, you know, this garbage curriculum out of schools with us, great. I don't care. Uh, I don't care what they think about homosexuality or transgenderism at that moment, even though I know for a fact they are not really with me in the in the long run. So that's all I'm saying. That's you could handle that same kind of coalitional situation. So to that extent, what Neil's talking about, if you're just trying to gain allies to combat this one issue, that is applying this principle. And if what you need to say to them at that time is like, hey, um, you know, here's the the latest stats on racism. I mean, I always question these these polls, but I certainly know. I mean, I grew up in the South. I okay, I know know people. Um, I know what's what's being talked about. Um, but if what you need to build to gain some of that support is to talk to them in a certain way that appeals to them, I, mean, I think that's that's pretty prudent. Um, but if we're talking about like what builds a larger coalition that goes further than just, OK, we got the wokeness out of schools, then there has to be a different long term posture. Um, and again, this is situational. The friend enemy distinction is always like shifting. Right. But this but long term, if you're trying to build a coalition, that's not just single issue focused, but is looking at a general um, kind of approach to, to the polity, right? A general way of doing life, um, then then you're going to need to uh, play the long game a little bit more and the coalition looks different. So I hope that was somewhat cogent. So I'd say there's there's situations where you may need to do that, appeal to certain, you know, uh, beliefs or, or kind of uh, attitudes that we may think are are like useless in the long run, but they get you something done. That's very practical. Um, but I don't yeah. think that practical principle is not necessarily um, because it's so issue specific. So I think the anti-wokeness thing has has had some steam, but it's not like the glue to hold together the right um, moving forward. Well, I, you know, I think you're I'm, I'm very sympathetic to what Neil is saying. I, I, I don't think there's any path forward that doesn't involve normies. So I don't mm -hmm. think it's fair to just kind of write them off completely. Yeah, um, absolutely. And just and just say that you know, they've got to wake up and smell the coffee. Um, but I, I, I to me, it's very I, I think we need to be very careful not to like the thing that the normies need is they need a different frame for seeing the world. And if mm -hmm. we are applying the enemy's frame and mm -hmm. trying to appeal to them through the enemy's frame, it's we're just going to be counterproductive. Mm -hmm. um, case in point, um, you mentioned like, you know, allying with different people for different things. There is zero pushback on the right 
very small, maybe, uh, to allying with uh, gays uh, against groomers and mm-hmm. some of the others, like libs of TikTok. Nobody's going to mm-hmm. get onto you for sharing a libs of TikTok video, even though they're very, you know, that, that crowd is very pro LGB. They just want to mm-hmm. chop off the T. So right. they, they just went one letter too far. And there is no, um, there is no concern that, you know, by associating with, with those groups that we're communicating the wrong thing or that we're allying with, you know, sin, we're going to let sin in the church. Mm-hmm. It, everything is according to the left's mm-hmm. uh, frame. And I think the, the key to winning normies is to help them uh, kind of step out of that frame and see mm-hmm. how these issues have been weaponized against us and, and those kind of, you know, uh, visceral, like, ick reactions uh, to a lot of things are kind of programmed responses. And we need to think more deeply, think more biblically. And really, you know, it's, it's a way in which we've been conformed to the world that has been, you know, we've grown up in. That's a, it's actually a great example of like, you know, you think, so, so like you're saying, there seems to be some energy against the T, right? And it's like, if we need to divide and conquer and like work one letter at a time backwards, I guess that's like fine if that's how it's done. But it, but it was fascinating this past weekend where, you know, Michael Knowles gave that speech at CPAC where he's like transgenderism needs to be eradicated. And the, the response from what I would call the squishy right, if they're the right at all, it's all libertarians, which are just, uh, you know, whatever. Um, it's like liberals that are afraid of power. They're like the most useless of, of all three branches. But they like the outrage was was interesting, and it was from the LGB people, right? That are on the on the right or co belligerents to some extent on the right that really were bothered by that. But they claim that they're you know that's what they're allied with us on. So it's interesting to see the extent to which they're actually serious, and it does matter when you're talking about a frame of mind or an approach to these things. You know what is the basis on which you reject the T or which you reject you know CRT in your in your schools? Is it because, you know, you come up with some stupid thing like, well, education is education, not indoctrination. It's like, all right, if you're going to think that way, like we need to have some conversations about what education is. Of course, it's indoctrination. Just get real with yourself that you don't want that and you're going to discriminate. You want this and not that. You're allowed to do that. That's what we do. We make choices together. The, and then on the LGB or on the, on the T issue, it's like, is your main issue that you just don't want it shoved down your throat, but you're totally fine with them kind with this live and let live paradigm to govern all of us? Or are you actually like, no, this is a, um, especially in the way it's manifested, a, a societal scourge, right? Like, I don't want this anywhere. Doesn't mean we have to kill anybody. No one's talking about that. But it's just saying, I, I don't want any part of this being promoted in my society. I don't want it to be celebrated, all that stuff. So it's very important. I mean, that also is a dividing line on, you know, your coalition. It's like, you can join with people, but you will notice that if their if their rationale for joining is not shared, they fall away at a certain point and it just doesn't work. And that's what happened with a lot of the quote unquote classical liberals that initially were much more enthusiastic about the new right um, and no longer really hang around. You know, David Rubin, very wise, like some of those people. Thoughts on that, Neil? No, I think it's right. I think it's a good illustration in that uh, every um Every political coalition is going because it's a political. It's not a Christian coalition. It's not a a people, a a theological. It's not. 
you're going no matter whether you're on the left or the right, if you're biblically thinking biblically, there are going to be people in your political party who fundamentally they're, they're lost. They're not believers. And so mm-hmm. yeah, you're going to have to part ways theologically. Well, not even part ways. You are not in the same place remotely theologically, although you may be temporary political allies. And that's a, important for Christians to just realize. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 so I 100% agree that the idea of developing our, this pristine, perfect, essentially, a, 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 it's that the church should be perfect theologically. It should be. It's not. But you're never going to have a political movement that's even remotely pristine because it's going to include this heterogeneous elements that you just fundamentally disagree with. But that said, I think um, we have to focus on incremental gain. It's crazy to think we're going to you know, install the Christian prince and he's going to bring us you know, per- this perfect Christian society. Well, that's not going to ever happen, um, you know, barring a miracle. And, and so I think that you have to pragmatically say, let's push people in the right direction and then maybe slowly, like you said, slowly introduce people to the right way of thinking about all these issues. Like you said, Josh, I agree that I, I so again, I, I feel like my, you know, Michael Corleone, as soon as I get out, they suck me back in. I do not <laughs> want to talk about Christian nationalism. This is not my concern. My everyone knows <laughs> my concern is critical theory and wokeness. That is my sworn enemy. And this is an incidental thing. So my concern in all of this is how is this Christian nationalism or Christian federalism? How is it going to make the work of getting wokeness out of the church? And secondarily, out of culture, harder. So that's uh, so, so really only reason I care. Um, so, but so I'm just trying to. So maybe I, I guess what I just want to say that um, Christians need to, you know, acknowledge that um, there are going to be, you know, distaste. You know, there are going to be people we actively disagree with in our political coalitions. There are going to be. Let's just and no matter where you are, whether you're left or right or centrist, there are going to be people that are allied with you, whether you're intellectual dark web or you're anti woke or woke, that you theologically disagree with fundamentally, and even in terms of remote political ends, you'll come to a point where they 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 just part ways from you. And we have to hold our nose and say, hey, we're we're in it to make the political landscape slightly better incrementally. Um, and then, and, but then, but, but draw a sharp, it, uh, explicit in our mind, explicit distinction between what we believe theologically and what we're doing pragmatically at a political level. We have to maintain that barrier. Do not let things go mm-hmm. between them, just uh, to diffuse and say, well, they're my friends though. And so I, maybe these ideas aren't so bad after all. No, <laughs> your theology comes from the Bible and only the Bible. And then just don't confuse your temporary temporal temporal political allies with your theological allies that's just i i I can't emphasize that enough you got to keep them separate yeah i I agree there and i i think that's where what dangers i am seeing on the right uh seem to be of a different type than we were seeing with the woke church um Mm -hmm. and that we were seeing things taught from huge platforms from celebrity pastors that were straight up out of critical theory. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if we see, you know, an Al Mohler start to, you know, share uh, Richard Spencer, you know, talking points, or he starts, you know, being becoming a believer in bronze age pervert, you know, okay. Right. At that point, you know, I think you've got a, a good comparison there, but um, you know, your, your point is taken. And I think, um, 
you know, I think this conversation has been really helpful. And I think, um, I think we're all still friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> any final thoughts before we, uh, well, yeah, up? you guys are on my right, so you can't be my enemies. You're... <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. We're on the right, on the right. I, I, you know, yeah. I'm an honorary normie. I think, I think I, I'm, I'm almost, I'm basically, I, I'm basically a liberal. Yeah. You're, you're I mean. definitely not to my right. There's, there's no way you're too further to my right. Than I, I'm I, Marxist adjacent. So <laughs> well, you know, now it's like super cool in the new right to like start reading Marx again and stuff. So you're well equipped <laughs> to step right back in. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think it's good to, to hash these things out and even to the point Josh was making earlier of trying to just give people a new way to think about politics generally. I think Christians are pretty bad at that uh, in, in this practical way we're discussing, not to mention their actual like political theory of what their ideal is and like what's what the real Christian historic Overton window should be of like what what's all this for. Um, but practically, I think we're, we're bad at this and we um, need to get much better if we actually care. So I think I think the benefit of some of these issues like uh, wokeness like drag queen story or whatever is they are there's enough of a visceral reaction to where it has woken a significant amount of people up to say okay well you know something is not working um, so uh -huh. more so than five years ago um, stuff is, has changed um, we're even normies as we'd call it, however me and Neil are like disagreeing on how to define the normie maybe that's like a really it's a really deep question what is the platonic normie but um, more normies than before are like interested in, in this aspect because it's hit very close to home. And all I'm, I'm saying in the long run is like, that's, that's good. It should wake you up. And then you need to wake up to deeper problems as well. Not just this one issue of like, we can get rid of CRT in schools. We're home. We're good to go. Like we'll just, we'll just settle back uh -huh. into, um, so, but I, but I think it's helpful to, to discuss this in, in political strategies. And I don't think we should be, again, to be practical you should be too married to any uh, particular use of of your coalitional power um, so you should be thinking about these things actively of, of what moves to make but this is at least one general principle that i think is often or generally applicable neil any final thoughts no, I'm, this is a good discussion. I, I really have always said dialogue is the way forward for everything. Such a um, liberal. If you're such a liberal. <laughs> I, Gil, you know, I, I still have a fondness for classical liberals. I know. I know. You know, I think there are elements of it. Don't you want dialogue time on? You're not a fascist, are you? No, I'm not <laughs> a fascist. The uh, I think I raised this earlier. Like the, I forget who wrote it. There's this really good article at First Things from a while back on um, like intellectual freedom in the medieval university. And, you know, we have like a, a bad view of medieval period. Um, and of course it's like very con structurally confined from our perspective of a university. But the whole mm -hmm. point was like, actually the way it, it functioned, once you're inside of it, you kind of agree to the, the confines of, of which of course are theological, you had immense freedom, but you have to, mm -hmm. the, the rules of the game are just different. So basically what we've tried to say, or we try to do is, make the the rules of the game of dialogue or discourse or discussion intellectual critique so broad that that actually there's no rules you know at all and that's very destabilizing so then um but then subtly everyone's trying to insert their own rules so i'm not against dialogue in principle as being uh constructive i just think the rules of the game need to be much much more restrictive so that's that's why i'm authoritarian is to get back to actual actual <laughs> ability to discuss real ideas that are important. 
Uh, Doug Wilson's post uh, this week was on, um, and I mentioned Doug Wilson, so somebody just got Theo Bro Bingo. Um, <laughs> uh, he he made a, a pretty, I thought, fair case that what um, a lot of the post-liberal critiques have diagnosed as uh, liberalism being the problem, it's actually, uh, we, we've misnamed it, but it's actually secularism that's the problem. And I uh, thought that was interesting, but that's a different uh, conversation. So yeah <laughs> all right neil uh timon thank you so much for uh having this conversation i look forward to uh continuing this on twitter thank you guys that's our show for today big thanks to neil shinvi and timon klein for joining me for this conversation i hope you found it helpful uh if you did please share it on uh, social media um anyone who is you know in these conversations um you know, I think this is this would be uh, incredibly helpful. If you'd like to join the conversation, if you have any questions, uh, follow up questions or anything sparked an idea, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'm available on Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open, uh, but you can send me a public message, uh, whatever. Neil and Timon are there as well. Um, if you are watching this on YouTube, go ahead and hit like and subscribe so you don't miss future content. If you're watching or you're listening on um Apple Podcasts, uh, ratings and reviews there are really helpful as well. So um, until next time, I will see you soon.